Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. I want to draw your attention to a, a special series that uh, actually debuts tonight on Global National at 6.30 with Donna Friesen. It's uh, a rather troubling story. It's called Dispensing Harm. Now, we've talked at great length, of course, about the opioid crisis and, and the implications and, and the, some of the reasoning behind this, why it's happening. But uh, this uh, series, this three-part series that starts tonight on Global National, is going to shed a totally different light on this and a different twist on it altogether. And uh, to uh, give you some insight as to what we're going to actually be talking about, I want to bring Carolyn Jarvis into the program. Carolyn, of course, is network investigative reporter on Global News, and uh, she, of course, will be uh, front and center on this uh, three-part series tonight. Carolyn, thank you so much for the time. It's great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Bill. Listen, we've, we've talked at just about every angle. At least I thought we'd talk just about every angle about the <laughs> opioid crisis over the last couple of years. This is bizarre, what you're going to be talking, what, you, what you're going to reveal today. Yeah, in fact, members of Ontario's Emergency Opioid Task Force haven't been talking about this topic. It hasn't hit the radar at all, is what one of the members of that committee told us. Pharmacists who move from drug dispensers to drug dealers and contribute to the growing opioid epidemic in this country. They go about it a variety of ways. And let me underscore that this is a very, very select few pharmacists. The vast majority of pharmacists in our province are not only upsetting citizens, but are helping curb the opioid crisis with um, many proactive measures. However, I was told by experts, and we saw the evidence ourselves, that when a pharmacist becomes a drug dealer, even if the cases are few, you can't ignore them because their access to supply and huge volumes of supply is vast, and so the potential for harm is great. Well, we've heard stories of, of pharmacists and, and, frankly, other people in the medical profession, doctors and others, that, that do have access to this, that have become users. But, but to actually be in, in the business of doing this, and, and I know that you, uh, you articulate this by actually talking about a, a particular case uh, of a pharmacist, uh, and uh, you, you describe what was a quote-unquote robbery in his pharmacy. The whole thing was a scam. It was unbelievable. This was an Ottawa pharmacist named Wasim Shaheen, who was found guilty, charged, convicted, sentenced to 14 years in prison, although I might note he is appealing, uh, for faking a robbery at his own store, a store that he owned and managed, and had trafficked 5,000 maximum strength fentanyl patches onto the street. Um, many of those he moved through, a known drug addict. When a technician at his pharmacist realized there were vast inventory discrepancies between what was coming into the pharmacy and what was going out. He notified the Ontario College of Pharmacists and the police, and to try to cover his tracks, this pharmacist conspired with the drug addict, and there's a secret cell phone recording of that conversation. It's unbelievable to stage a robbery at his own store, and then there's security video of that robbery. And we get to see the whole thing unfold just as laid out in the conversation, and then a 911 call where, curiously, he can't really describe the man who just robbed him because he wants him to get away. It is all straight out of a movie, and very sadly, it's real life with real-life consequences. And again, I know you're going to repeat this numerous times over the course of these uh, three-part series. Uh, this is a small percentage of pharmacists that may be uh, doing this. But has it raised the, 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 the eyebrows of the people in the industry right now? I mean, are they doing more self-policing within the industry? You know, I think that there are tools in place right now that could have caught this but didn't, perhaps because they are not engineered in such a way to be looking for it. Health Canada only started inspecting pharmacies in 2015 when this operation was already underway, uh, and it only touched 3% of Ontario pharmacies last year. Ontario's Ministry of Health has a very sophisticated narcotics monitoring system, which says in its very mandate that it could flag criminal activity. 
but they're not using it that way. We, the taxpayers, are paying for it, but they're not using it in a way that it would flag this sort of behavior. They're only looking for people that might go to multiple pharmacies with a prescription, what's called polypharmacy, but they're not looking for pharmacists who could be the bad guy. So I actually think there are tools already in hand that could help curb this issue. We're just not using them that way yet. So hopefully our investigation could open people's eyes to a new way of thinking about this to help curb what are a small subset of pharmacists that are using the system to their advantage. Because we've talked about that in the past. I mean, there are, there are abuses, of course, in the system, but oftentimes there are customer abuses, as you say, people trying to fulfill mm-hmm. multiple prescriptions at different pharmacies uh, to try to accumulate uh, whatever fentanyl or whatever it might be in a situation like this. But did you get the impression, as you were talking to the people in the industry about these these cases, though, Carolyn, that the, their, their attitude was, oh, we didn't see this coming? Oh, for sure. The executive vice president of the Ontario Pharmacists Association said, as I, you know, he sits on the emergency opioid task force. He said it has not hit the radar at all. We have not thought about this. This is not something we've been talking about, and probably because it, it, it's taken until you know a group of journalists came together and created a database on our own, hand packed into our keyboards, uh, of the wrongdoing committed by all pharmacists going back five years that we were able to connect the dot and find this. And people don't necessarily have that sort of time at their disposal. And then we were able to expose where the shortcomings may lie. And you know, I think that. Both the College of Pharmacists, both the Ministry of Health and Health Canada at the federal level have a role to play. And certainly on Wednesday on Global National at Night, that's the third part of our series, we'll be really digging deep into the systems at play that could have caught this and didn't. You mentioned collaborative effort. I want to talk about that for a second. Uh, uh, we've got, obviously, incredible st- people like yourself working in investigative reporting at Global, but uh, uh, you've reached out to uh, the Toronto Star Ryerson School of Journalism. This was a, This was a team effort, wasn't it? Well, it, it, credit where credit's due, they actually reached out to us, which is great. Um, and so we work together. This is the future of journalism. Many journalists, including myself, believe that in the unfortunate state of uh, conventional media today, you need to reach across the pond, you need to check egos aside, and you need to serve in the interest of the people that read, listen, and view your stories, uh, the public. And, and that's what we've come together to do in this instance, bring a piece of journalism which we believe is in the public's interest, which is very important to our democracy and to... Uh, positive society and bring it to the front page and do that together. And you'll see the fruits of all that hard work, of course, during this three-part series that does debut tonight uh, on uh, Global National at 6.30. Uh, Are there red flags? I mean, now that you've raised awareness about this and and the people within the industry, the different facets of the industry, uh, are aware to look for this, uh, I mean, there are some things that you look in hindsight, Carolyn, and say, why didn't they see this coming? And one of them would be that supply chain. In other words, if there's this particular pharmacist or one who's alleged to have done this sort of thing, uh, has got to be ordering a lot more product than you would think is normal, and, and nobody seemed to, to raise any issues about that. It's a, you know what? It's like you're like the pharmacy expert I just spoke with last week. <laughs> well done. Uh, yes, in fact, Dr. David Urlink, who's one of the foremost uh, drug safety researchers from University of Toronto and the Sunnybrook Research Institute, said exactly that. He said, what about that supply chain? We should be looking at distributors. Who's shipping the most and which pharmacies are receiving them? And guess what? Health Canada does not track that information. In the States, not only do they track it, but distribution companies are required by law to report any shipments that they would deem suspicious. And when they haven't, distributors have been faced with massive fines in the hundreds of millions of dollars they've had to pay. The same companies that exist in Canada exist in the States, and they're being fined millions and millions and millions of bucks. 
and it's just not happening here. And that's what I find just astounding, really, that with something as, as dangerous as, as what they're dealing with here, with the opioids, that there would be a tracking system and, and, and some sorts of, of, of system, not just, of course, from the suppliers, but within the pharmacy itself. In other words, you know, the paperwork should be monumental here. Mm-hmm. So you understand exactly where this stuff is going. And, and they just seem to have thrown their hands up and said, I no no problem. Well, technically, they can go and audit it at any point, but uh, we have no proof to show that that is happening. And the data, the information is not being funneled to Health Canada itself, so they can do it whenever they want. They say that they're going to close that loophole with an amendment to the Narcotics Control Act that will require suspicious shipments of opioids to be reported. But they couldn't even tell us when that was going to happen. So, yeah, there are definite um, problems here within the system that could be hopefully rectified rather easily, and we hope that that will happen. There are so many holes in this legislation, though, and and, and, I, and I guess you'll, you'll have to focus on the, this pharmaceutical assistant that actually decided to, to blow the whistle and say, hey, wait a minute, something's going on here. And, but isn't it great that somebody had the guts to do that? Yeah. That's a young employee at the outset of his career that had the guts to and the gumption to blow the whistle. And in almost every case we profile, the pharmacists were done in by dumb luck and by chance, a tip. Um, um, somebody getting ensnared in a tangential police investigation in another instance. This wasn't because one of the systems in place caught them. They didn't. We're talking a lot of money here, aren't we? Oh, for sure. In the instance that we profiled today, the fentanyl patches alone were worth a million dollars on the street. Wow. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is is there a a subset? Is there an industry here? I mean, are these guys working as lone wolves, or is there a network of of people that are doing this? Are are they sharing this money? I mean, you've got to wonder how extensive this is. I don't see this being as a coordinated thing. I mean, what we need to underscore is these are one-offs. These are pharmacists that are doing it in different parts of the province at different times um, of the year. We, there's no there's no indication that any of this is coordinated. But, you know, as the judge said in his ruling in the Shaheen matter, that's the Ottawa pharmacist, the only apparent motivation here was greed. And greed is a powerful magnet when employed. And and there's more to it than greed, though, as as I know you're going to talk about in the in the series here. I mean, you, you're putting people's lives at risk when you're putting this stuff out on the mm-hmm. streets. And they have to know that. That's the thing. I mean, the College of Pharmacists is very proactive in making sure that these pharmacists have front-line training to know what to look for with opioid addictions, to know how to curb it, to know, you know, when you're uh, prescribing methadone or naloxone for people who are addicts. I mean, they see these people more than you and I would. And these people knew the potential for harm, and they did it anyways. Well, and it runs so contrary to what we, we expect from pharmacists. And, and again, I, I will emphasize, yes, this is a small percentage of people that do this. But, you know, they're the ones that are saying, oh, wait a minute, you got this prescription. You know, you're already taking this. Uh, this could be harmful to you. This guy is actually putting people in harm's way. And, and I, I don't know if there's any way to quantify exactly what kind of damage has been done by this or anybody else that's doing this sort of thing. But it's pretty frightening. Oh, absolutely. It is frightening. I mean, we were in court to obtain evidence related to these cases, and while we were awaiting our turn, uh, people came up before the judge with opioid addictions. Mothers were sobbing in the room, and these are the survivors whose lives are shattered as a result of this addiction. Uh, There are many more that, that, that don't live to see another day because the grips of this drug are so powerful, they pull you down with it. Were you surprised by what you were finding as you went through this investigation? You know, I have to be honest, initially when, we, when, when I saw this, I thought it was so few that I was inclined as a journalist because I never want to be sensational in the reporting to, to say, ah, so few, you know, I don't see it. Maybe the pattern isn't here. Perhaps we shouldn't give this too much weight. 
But it was when we dug into this that we spoke with the people who said, you cannot turn a blind eye to this. Look at the totals here. The one patch is cut into four. That's four lethal doses. Here's one guy that put 5,000 on the street. Another drug enforcement officer said to me, the most I've ever caught on a street-level dealer was 500 patches. You have a guy that trafficked 5,000? Yeah, you can't, you can't not report on that. The numbers are staggering. They really are. Uh, and and it, it gives us a different angle to this. And, and, and I know it was global, I guess about a year, year, year and a half ago, they talked about the doctor that was actually uh, stealing from himself and, and became hooked. He's, he's, I guess, gone to jail now as a result of uh, the, the trial that went on like this. And, and we're shocked by this. But this is this is something, well, to use the phrase we used a minute ago, that I don't think too many people saw coming. And, and, and you have to wonder... Uh, how the courts are going to deal with something like this. Now, he's been, uh, he's been convicted already, this individual? Yeah, he was convicted, and he is appealing his sentence. So he asserts his innocence related to this matter, and he will have an appeal, and we'll see what happens on that. The last word, he was out on bail. No word whether he's returned yet to custody or not. Uh, but the judges have been, have been very heavy-handed, some, so some say, or just might argue another. Uh, a 14-year sentence is no laughing matter, and another um, Ottawa rather in another instance of a pharmacist in London, Ontario, he was handed an 11-year sentence. So the sentences are very serious, and the judges are sending a, a message of deterrence in their sentencing. Uh, you're very thorough in your reporting, Carolyn, and your investigations on this. i got to assume you asked, and I would think also that he declined to, uh, to appear with you on this interview. Uh, Mr. Wasim, yeah. the Ottawa pharmacist, yes, we pursued him multiple times. We tried to approach him at his house. We went through his lawyers, and uh, they declined to speak with us, unfortunately. But um, certainly the court record speaks for itself. Absolutely does. It starts at 6.30 tonight on Global National and uh, with uh, Donna Friesen, of course. Uh, Carolyn Jarvis, the, uh, the lead, uh, the investigative reporter on this for the Global News. It's called Dispensing Harm. And uh, you've got to watch this, all three parts of it, because there are different facets of this uh, very troubling uh, angle to what's happening in the opioid crisis. Uh, again, Carolyn, congratulations on the great work that you and the, the team have done on this. And we look forward to watching the, uh, the finished product tonight on Global National. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Always a pleasure. Take care. Carolyn Jarvis, of course. Watch for her tonight on Global. Uh, and, and it just gives us a whole different angle on, on what's happening here, because we wonder, where's this stuff coming from? How do people get this? How do they get hooked on this? And and look at there are bad apples, okay? There are there are one or two bad cops. There are one or two bad teachers. We get that. And we don't want to paint everybody with the same brush, and, and that's certainly not the intention here. But it is important that we shine the light on all of these problems and all facets of these problems because we're not going to get this thing under control and, until we actually understand just where it's coming from and the, and the depth and breadth of, uh, of the problem itself. And I think this uh, three-part special on Global Tonight will do just that. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.